0: Barely visible, and still wearing the clothes he died in. The ghost of an abandoned soul is drifting. He is weightless. The slightest draught of air wafts him to and fro. The man looks, to a certain extent, unremarkable. He's 75, 5'7, he has grey hair with a side parting. But that certain extent is only 50%. the other 50% of him is highly remarkable by its absence. He is only half of a ghost. It's as if he has been cleaved in two vertically. The right-hand side of him is not there. During the month of August 1997, he has been in limbo. He has been hovering just above the ground, behind the wire fence of an allotment site but now his wraith is floating slowly towards the half-light of the nether regions of Occupation Road. Soon, the half-ghost will be in Hornet Heaven. Hornet Heaven, Halfback Written by Ollie Wickham, read by Colin Mace Earth season 1997-98. It's September the 2nd, 1997 and Henry Grover and Johnny Orgood are in the bar of the Supporters' Club headquarters. The father of the club says to Watford's first-ever manager, There's no doubt about it, Johnny, old thing. We're witnessing the second coming of the Messiah. Oh, I don't know about that, Henry. But it's definitely great to have Graham Taylor back in the manager's seat and be top of the table straight away. Believe me, Johnny... Some scriptures claimed the Messiah would come after seven years of tribulation. And that's exactly how long Jack Petchy owned Watford Football Club. Watford have won at Plymouth Argyle today, their fourth win in the first five games. And Henry is finding delight in other matters too. Things couldn't be better, Johnny Old Poodle. That horrible mob from up the road lost today at home. For the last five years, our two clubs have been miserably entwined in a death spiral down the leagues. But now we're top of the pile, and they're just outside the relegation zone. It'll be a joy to be at least a division above them next season. But surely the success that GT's bringing us should be enjoyed in its own right, Henry. There's no need to be thinking about our local rivals. But how can one stop thinking about them? We're playing them at their place in a month's time. I dearly hope we spank their bottoms. Five nil, ideally, though I'd settle for four nil. You know, Henry, sometimes I think the rivalry is over-egged. We're just two neighbouring towns of people who enjoy watching football and... Oi! Grover! Henry and Johnny are interrupted by Hornet Heaven's head steward, the unreformed hooligan, Lamper. There's something you need to say, Grover, Damn by the allotments. Really, Lamper, do you have to bother me with... We've got a ghost in Orny Evan. heaven. A ghost? Actually, it's worse than just a ghost. Worse? What could be worse than a ghost, Lamper old chap? It's half a ghost. In the gloom in the lower reaches of Occupation Road, the bisected ghost drifts through a crowd of onlookers. The gaze of his one eye moves from object to object, from person to person. He cannot hear and he does not have the power of speech. His one leg dangles uselessly and so does his one arm, or so the crowd thinks. A 13-year-old boy with a mixture of curiosity and bravado edges forward from the crowd and moves in close to the ghost, in the same way that down on earth he once examined a jellyfish floating in the shallows at the beach. Suddenly, the ghost's arm swipes at the boy. The boy jumps back and shrieks. The crowd retreats several steps. Now, the father of the club arrives at the scene, accompanied by Johnny Allgood. Henry's face betrays the fear he feels despite his apparently assured outward manner. Someone tell me, what manner of thing is going on here? The boy, trembling and upset, says, That thing just tried to eat me, Mr Grover, sir. Eat you, Derek? Come, come, I'm sure... I think it needs to feed on people to make itself whole, Mr Grover, sir. The crowd gasps at the idea, and Derek Garston runs away up the slope to go and barricade himself in his programme hut for protection. When the boy is gone, a man from the crowd comes up to Henry. It's Taffy Davies, the former winger who played for Watford before, during and after the Second World War. The Welshman says, There's no danger here, Henry. I recognise the fella. Played for us, he did. A teammate of mine. I didn't tolerate many people in them days, but he was a good un. Billy Bates, his name is. This is someone who played for us. By Jove, what a relief. Taffy, you old leek. He's obviously had some kind of terrible accident, but it's good that he's back at the club. Or half-back, anyway. (laughs) Wouldn't it be funny if that's the position he used to play? Half-back. Bell Bates was a winger, like me. And this is no joking matter. Look at the state of him, Henry. Ah, uh, yes, quite. Uh, Sorry. Another man approaches, Henry. It's Ken Fisher, who played at halfback in the same team as Taffy Davis and Billy Bates. Ken says, This is awful, Henry. Billy was a really good bloke. Really popular with the lads. Good. Well, that's very good to hear, Ken. And that's even though he'd played for them up the road for a few years. What? Yeah. He was there during the war, mainly. What are you trying to tell me, Ken, old chap? That he'd played up the road? but he was a good bloke. That doesn't make sense. How can you be a good bloke if you've spent any time at all with the Bedfordshire bog dwellers? But Billy Bates was. I mean, take Neil McBain. He managed both clubs and, well, as I say, take McBain, please, as far away as possible. Johnny intervenes. Ah, Henry, you seem obsessed with our local rivalry when if I'm obsessed, Johnny, it's with good cause. We have a hatter in our midst, or half a hatter, anyway, and that's far too much hatter. But Billy plead for us, so... Oh, oh goodness, I've just had a thought, Johnny, old boy. Maybe he's half hatter, half hornet. Maybe 50% of him is in their heaven, and 50% in ours. That would explain things. Hmm, I see what you're seeing, Henry, yes... I think you may finally have said something that sounds sensible. Thank you, Johnny. And I'd go further. It makes him very much like those ski hats that Liverpool and Glasgow Rangers fans used to wear to show that they support both clubs. He's a half-and-half ghost. (laughs) Ah, that's not so sensible. But can this even happen? Plenty of people in Hornet Heaven have had affinities with several other clubs, but we don't see mere fractions of them here. And sometimes that's a disappointment. Neil McBain played for six other clubs and managed another three. It would be good if we only had one-tenth of him in our afterlife. Taffy Davis interrupts. Henry, you need to get a grip of the situation. Poor Billy Bates needs help. Ken Fisher agrees. For pity's sake, we've got to help our old teammate, Johnny Allgood says. They're right, Henry, something needs to be done, but we need to know more first. We need an expert opinion on whether someone's soul can be split between afterlives. Let's go and see Roy from IT. The bifurcated phantom continues to drift unhearing. With his one eye, he can see that some in the crowd are terrified of him. Some are sympathetic and some are mocking him. If he could lip read, he would know that Freddie Sargent, player from the Watford Rovers days has just said, you can tell he supports the scammers, he's only got half a brain. But all Billy Bates knows is that the whole crowd are now laughing at him. As he floats helplessly through the ash-colored mist between the lock-up garages and the allotments, a semi-presence, he wonders to himself whether this afterlife, whatever place it is, is gonna be this cruel to him for eternity. Surrounded by humming computers, Roy from IT nudges his spectacles higher on his nose when Johnny and Henry tell him about the new arrival. Half a ghost? Aye, we're wondering if he's torn between the heavens of the two clubs he loves. Is that possible? How does the heaven selection system work? Well, it's simple, really. The technology behind the afterlife detects which club you love the most. When that's Watford, you come to Hornet Heaven. If it's another club, you go elsewhere. But what if you love two clubs equally? Well, that's not going to happen, Mr Orgot. When you compare the size of two things down to the most minuscule level, you'll always find a difference. The system is sensitive enough that it will always detect that one club is loved more than any other. Well, that's not fair, Royal sausage. We must have ended up with Neil McBain in Hornet Heaven by the smallest possible margin. Commit we demand a recount? No, Henry, that's not how things work round here. Then, uh, um, can't you fudge his numbers, please? Forget McBean, Henry. We're here about Billy Beats. Tell us, Roy, what might be the reason that only half of him is with us? Well, I guess there could have been some sort of system error. Is there any way you can check? I could log on to the central mainframe, I suppose. Okay, give me a minute or two. Talk amongst yourselves. You know, Henry, I don't think it's kind to vilify McBain the way you do, even if he does love Luton a bit. Kind? Who cares if it's kind or not? It's fun! Ah, nobody should be blamed for the clubs they support, Henry. The reasons people love clubs are to do with geography, family, friends, employment, that kind of thing. We all have the same range of reasons, they just lead to different choices. If you blame a Luton fan for supporting Luton, you should blame a Watford fund for supporting Watford. Here we are, gentlemen. I've logged on and... Uh, oh, what have you seen, Roy? Something I've never seen before. What is it, Roy Old Puffin? The system says it can't detect whether Billy Bates's allegiance is to Watford or Luton because of an invalid data point. What? What does that mean? The invalid data point was on, let's see, Christmas Day 1942. What on earth can that have been? Any ideas? Maybe he got given a half and half Watford and Luton hat. In 1942, it would have been a Trilby or a Fedora, most probably. Wait, I think I, yes. In those days, didn't the teams always play each other on Christmas Day? By Jove, Johnny Old Thing, you're right. Yes, we did. In that case, maybe something happened at the match, some kind of anomaly. How intriguing. Shall we go and check it out, Johnny, old boy? Definitely, Henry. Let's get a couple of programmes from Derek at the programme hut and go through the ancient turnstile to investigate. Drifting helplessly, The half-ghost sees a corpulent man step out of the crowd towards him. He recognizes the fleshy face and thick-rimmed glasses. They belong to the manager who gave him a contract at Luton Town in 1939, Neil McBain. He sees McBain come close. The Scotsman looks sad and is mouthing something urgently, some kind of advice or warning, perhaps. He cannot hear it, but McBain is saying, don't come here, Billy boy. They'll treat you like they treat me. Hatter heaven will be a far better place for you. Derek, uh, let us in. There's a poppet. The door of the wooden programme hut on occupation road is shut. Henry and Johnny knock again. It's all right, Derek, we're not the ghost. And anyway, we've established that the ghost is a friend. Have we, Johnny? He's half and half. He might be friend and foe. Ah, thank you, Derek. Can we come in? Are you sure it's safe out there, Mr Allgood, sir? We're all going to be fine, Derek. But how do you know the ghost isn't going to devour me? Because, Derek, the ghost is a former Watford player called Billy Bates. Oh, really, sir? Well, sir... I know about him, sir. He made one league appearance for the Filthy Hatters before he saw the light and made thirteen for us, Mr. Orchard, sir. Ah, so he played for us more than for them. That's good, isn't it, Henry? I suppose. But tell us, Derrick, young stripling, do you know anything about the Christmas Day local derby in 1942? Something to do with Billy Bates. Something a bit rum, perhaps. Oh, yes, Mr. Grover, sir. You do? It was extraordinary, Mr. Grover, sir, and Mr. Orchard, sir. Extraordinary. Go on, Derek. Billy Bates played for Watford while he was a Luton player. What? It was a match in the wartime league south. Watford arrived at Kenilworth Road a man short. Billy Bates made up our numbers by pulling on a Watford shirt, Mr. Grover, sir. What? An enemy? In our ranks? Well, this definitely is extraordinary. It must be the invalid data point, Henry. I bet the scummer scuppered us. Actually, Mr. Grover, sir, Billy helped us beat the Bedfordshire bogeyman Two nil, sir. What? Really? (laughs) Good man. Top fellow. Right, so he played for us while he was on their books. I can definitely see why something like this would confuse the afterlife's heaven selection technology. This is splendid, Johnny. I do hope we planted him at the kennel as a sleeper agent and then activated him as a Christmas surprise. This match is something I want to go and watch. Two programmes, please, Derek Young Hobbledehoy In the gloom at the bottom of Occupation Road, Billy Bates, or rather half of Billy Bates, wafts in the breeze. He thinks he has seen enough of this place and shuts his eye. He reopens his other eye, an eye that's elsewhere, in the hope of seeing something better. But what he sees through the other eye is far more miserable. Sheets of rain are lashing down on makeshift tarpaulin shelters in a deserted alley behind the bobber's stand at Kenilworth Road. This other afterlife appears utterly bleak. He has seen no one here since it first became visible to him through his right eye. He shuts his right eye and reopens his left. The crowd in the half-light is still standing there watching him. He will be welcome nowhere, it seems. Henry and Johnny arrive at the 1942 Christmas Day Derby at Kenilworth Road, with Derek tagging along. In 1942-43, Mr Grover and Mr Allgood, sirs, we played in the same wartime division as the biggest clubs in the south of England, sirs, including Arsenal, Tottenham and Chelsea, sirs and the same division as these grimy reprobates. Goodness, I feel unclean merely by coming to their kennel. I hope we finished above them that year. Well, Mr Grover, sir, that's interesting, sir. There were only two points in it come the end of the season, sir, and we took two points off them in this game, sir. (laughs) I like that. If we'd had to play with ten men, we probably wouldn't have won, which means Billy Bates pulling on a Watford shirt for this game was effectively what gave us the bragging rights for the season. Good old Billy. I'm liking him more and more. Oh, it's better than that, Mr. Grover, sir. You can point to this win today with one of their players in our side as the result that made the Bedfordshire Bluterers finish bottom of the league. marvellous, marvellous I love Billy Bates I want him in Hornet Heaven, all of him he definitely deserves to be here Mr Grover sir right thank you Derek and come on Johnny, quick, let's go back and get Roy from IT to fix the technology so Billy can join us, completely Henry and Johnny rush into the IT department. Here we are again, royal chum. Johnny and I are back with the vital information you need to make sure Billy Bates can enter Hornet Heaven fully formed. Well, that's good, Henry, but I should warn you that it's not up to me to decide which heaven he enters. Now, what did you find out, gentlemen? We've learned, Roy, that the invalid data point on Christmas Day 1942 was that Billy Bates was a Luton player, but plead for Watford. Crikey! What's more, he helped us win the game, thereby helping ensure that his team, the Bedfordshire Blackarts, finished bottom of the league, where, of course, they belong. Double crikey. So, please, get him into our heaven immediately, Roy, old sweetie, in his entirety. Billy Bates is clearly 100% a Hornet. Well, I can easily correct the data on the system, Henry, but it'll be up to the system itself to decide which heaven Billy goes into. Oh, that's nothing to worry about, Roy, old poppet. Through his actions on Christmas Day 1942 and by openly joining Watford a few years later, Billy Bates is a horn without any shadow of a doubt. Ah, steady, Henry. Don't get ahead of yourself. It's quite possible that. Oh, enough with your killjoy scepticism, Johnny Old Bean. This is going to be wonderful. Almost as wonderful as the first time we pulled on red shorts. Uh, Roy will input the data, and I'll welcome Billy Bates into Hornet Heaven. Henry, I just think... What can I expect to see, Royal Poppet? Will the other half of Billy gradually become visible before our eyes, and he'll morph from a phantom to a full-on Hornet Heaven resident like the rest of us? I've no idea, Henry. We've never had anything like this before. Well, I'm going down to the bottom of Occupation Road right now. Give it five minutes, Roy, and then input the data so I can watch the transformation happen. Come on, Johnny Old Puffin. This is going to be a truly wonderful Watford moment. Through his left eye, as he drifts, the half-wraith of Billy Bates sees the crowd part and two old men step forward. The first is wearing a natty Victorian suit and the second is bald with a long drooping moustache. The first man, Billy observes, has an air of importance, or self-importance, and as this man addresses the crowd, Billy wonders if, at long last, this is the welcome that no one in this afterlife has seemed to want to give him. Could this be the end of his purgatory? On the other side of the plane that separates Limbo from Hornet Heaven, Henry, unheard by Billy Bates, announces, Ladies and gentlemen, you are about to witness a marvellous moment. As father of the club, I have overseen a process which will culminate any moment now with this hapless half-ghost transforming before your eyes. Billy Bates will fully materialize as the whole and heroic Hornet that he is." As the crowd murmurs his excitement and approval, Johnny Allgood whispers to Henry, "'Ah, Henry, you didn't need to make a show of things like this. You don't know for sure that... Watch carefully, everyone, and be ready to marvel. Henry. Billy Bates, who has earned my eternal admiration for his dastardly double-crossing of his erstwhile employers up the road on Christmas Day, 1942, is about to... Oh. Where's he gone? The crowd murmurs in disappointment. The half-ghost has abruptly vanished. Wait, wait, wait. What? The crowd turns to Henry. Expectantly. Henry turns to Johnny. What's going on, old thing? Was Billy Bates a filthy hatter all along? I don't know, Henry. Damn it, he's double-crossed us. And he's made me look very stupid indeed. Henry adjusts his collar uncomfortably under the gaze of the crowd. This is embarrassing. You take over, Johnny. Say something wise and make sure it makes me look good. Go on. Quick. Johnny clears his throat and steps forward. Ladies and gentlemen, it looks as though, in the end, the Heaven selection system has determined that Billy Beats loved our rivals up the road more than he loved us. Freddie Sargent calls out. What was he doing here then? Taking the mickey? I would imagine he loved both clubs, Freddie and the difference in his feelings for both of his former employers may have been marginal. Perhaps what swung it was that he was on their books longer than ours. Anyway, it's a shame he can't join us. It would have been great to have another former player with us. Henry did a fine job trying to allow that to happen, and I'm sure Henry feels, as I feel, no bitterness if Billy Bates has indeed gone to spend eternity with our rivals instead of us. Thank you, Johnny. But no bitterness towards the Bedfordshire blotchers, old thing? Sometimes I think you hardly know me. You see, ladies and gentlemen, the rivalry shouldn't be personalised. If this season we're promoted and we leave Luton Town behind, then we shouldn't derive pleasure from their misfortune, just as you wouldn't want them to derive pleasure at our expense if they go a division above us. Football supporters shouldn't be abused or belittled for their support. We need to respect people who love other clubs, and that's because they love their clubs for the same reasons as we love ours. Several in the crowd nod at Johnny's words, including a few yards away, Neil McBain. McBain calls out, here, here. Henry, though, frowns. He leans into Johnny and says, steady, Johnny. I get what you mean. But if we do go ahead and spank the Bedfordshire bozos four or five nil at their place next month, I want to be able to enjoy it to the max. Johnny concludes, So what I'm saying is, rather than feeling we've been outdone by our rivals somehow, it's okay to feel a little sad if a good man like Billy Bates isn't going to spend eternity with us. And it's okay to wish that he was. And that's all I want to see. As a final act, let's all just spend a minute paying our respects to a man who wore our club's shirt. For Billy Bates, everything has gone blindingly white. He's cocooned in a serene mist. As far as he can tell, he isn't in either of the afterlives he could see before. What happens next? Will he end up properly resident in one place or the other? From what he could work out, one of them was in Luton and the other might have been in Watford. He played for both teams, but there's one he definitely loves much more than the other. Gradually, the mist starts to clear. Now the whiteness changes to a half-light. He finds himself next to an old lock-up garage and rusting fence slightly downhill from the crowd he saw earlier. Everyone is standing in silence, their heads bowed. Behind them he can see the Vicarage Road Stadium, where he absolutely loved playing, nearly 50 years ago. Billy feels an overwhelming elation take hold of him. At last, he's fully present in Hornet Heaven, his rightful home. He shouts, Yewaw! The crowd, as one, turned towards him. Everyone recognises him. Everyone smiles. They return his shout, and Billy Bates shouts back at them, Enjoy! You want... The End Halfback was written and produced by Ollie Wickham. It was read by Colin Mace. For more information on the Hornet Heaven stories, please visit hornetheaven.com. Thank you for listening.